thrilling, actually. It brought me to tears at one point. It was different. Uh, the dancers were stunning and gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful dancers, but um, it was just the music was a bit different. Yeah, a bit strange. Well, it didn't make any sense to me, and it was full of agony and angst, and I just thought it was quite un ugly, really. But it just didn't resonate with me about anything. I just thought it was, um, yeah, it was weird. I thought it was a fantastic exposition of dance and a great story. Oh, what, what, what was the story? I'm still trying to figure that out, but I think it's something to do with the country of Israel. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Well, I loved it. Um, I thought that the movement and the creativity were just amazing. Um, it was an inspiring show. Very and very very different, uh, but it certainly gained momentum as it went along. At first, I was not too sure how it was going to all evolve. Um, but there certainly was a momentum to it, and as it went along, it became more and more interesting, I think. And there were, I thought, very novel things that I'd never seen on stage before, novel effects that yeah. made it very arresting, even for somebody who's not into dance particularly. So overall, superb, yes. Welcome to Guardian Australia's first podcast from the Perth Festival. We're going to be here all week, taking in everything that the festival has to offer. What you just heard is the audience reaction to Saturday 21, a dance work by Israeli company Batsheva. We'll be talking about that more later in the podcast, but first we're joined by Jonathan Holloway, who is the director of Perth Festival. Hello, Jonathan. Hello. So, Jonathan, we've arrived mid-festival. Uh, tell us what we should be looking out for. So, Hot Tickets Iliad opened last night, and Iliad uh, performed by... Dennis O'Hare and it's quite astonishing. We also opened Midsummer Night's Dream over the weekend which has had fantastic reviews and is selling very well. This is like a really beautiful production with lots of puppets and it kind of takes as you like it and dream and kind it, of brings it together. And it's just beautiful is maybe not quite the word because it is quite rough and ready. It's the mechanicals, basically it's a team of people, it ends up with 50 people on stage. It's it's. Um, it was somebody uh, said about it that it was it was either a brilliant deconstruction of theatre or somebody taking the Mickey. Um, but uh, for me, it's absolutely theatrical. But it's chaotic and beautiful, um, and there's moments of surprise and shock. It's it's perfect theatre, and that sits really well in the same week as Bianco by No Fit State Circus, which is here for the next two weeks. So tell me what makes a Perth show, because of course you could go to lots of festivals in. Uh, Australia and see actually quite a lot of circus but what makes something a Perth show? One of the things I've been looking for all the way through the programme and uh, with my colleagues is work which is immersive and engaging and changes the uh, the nature of the engagement between the audience member and the artist. I'm not so much looking for work over there that you can sit and watch without being affected. I, I love immersive work so Situation Rooms is is uh, in effect 20 parallel one-on-one -on -one experiences using digital technology. So I, I should say I've just come from Situation Rooms uh, and I think we'll be reviewing it on tomorrow's podcast uh, but just sort of I'm still processing it because it is an entirely immersive experience and, and quite different from any work I've seen in Australia over the last year I think. I think it's different to any work I've seen anywhere. Uh, the technique they use, which is using iPad minis to, to guide each audience member on a series of seven-minute um, journeys, basically walking in the shoes of people who are involved in the arms trade. And, uh, and you yourself are hearing a story whilst uh, the other 19 people are hearing the other 19 stories. And then over that hour and a bit, you hear the, 
70 minutes obviously you hear the, you hear 10 stories of people and they're so varied but they interact and they move around and it's clever it's playing for me it's playing with form but it's playing with an almost journalistic content and it's uh, some people have said it's very much uh, the future of theatre in terms of uh, for, for thousands of years people said the show will happen at 7.30 on the flat bit next to the slopey bit and now you can gather at any time of the day and, and, and have your theatrical experience and as long as it moves you and takes you on a journey that's doing a, a really important job. So talking of things that move you actually, last night uh, I saw Saturday 21 which is dance work uh, with no narrative through line on it. Um, it took, again, took me a long time to process actually what I felt about it when I came out, but it's actually quite an emotional piece, but you're not quite sure why you're reacting. No, and I saw it uh, first, for the first time in, uh, in Moscow. I hate it when festival directors say things like that, but I did. <laughs> and, um, and, and, I, and immediately after this performance, and, and I love dance, but it rarely moves me to tears. Uh, although I, I, I don't mind being moved to tears occasionally and I sat in my seat and, and the director of the festival said will I come and meet Ahad Naharin the director and I, uh, the choreographer and I said I need 15 minutes and I had to stand outside for 15 minutes and just and just try and breathe again because and I, and I don't know why either and I think it's the imagery it's, it's the imagery of the wall it's the imagery of, uh, and the soundscape but it's those last 10 minutes that have built to somehow represent all the world's suffering and yet a part of the world's hope, and and I don't know that I don't know that many dance companies in the world manage to do that. But but that company, given its history and given its uh, global place and its its history and geography, basically, really managed to take you on on one of those journeys that um, that in Perth feels even more powerful than it would elsewhere because we're so far from that, and yet. And again, with Situation Rooms, these are journeys I think the people of Western Australia should be going on. So we've arrived for the festival now and we'll be looking forward to all the brilliant things in it. But tell us a bit about things we should have seen if we'd been here at the beginning, Jonathan. Well, the first week, I think probably the biggest experience for a lot of people was Nalagat Theatre, uh, who are also from, from Israel. And it's uh, Nalagat means please touch. And this is the world's only deaf-blind theatre company. And uh, both Not By Bread Alone, their performance, and also their, their blackout restaurant was so immersive and so beautiful and, and so engaging. And the company was so warm and generous um, that I think it's really moved everyone who saw it in Perth. Um, Jonathan, we should uh, interject here, is the only festival director who insists that people make bread live on stage at all of his festivals. All of my Isn't festivals. Isn't that true? It is. I've done it all, uh, for three festivals uh, here in a row. It's actually accidental. Somebody else pointed it out to me. I'm also the only festival director that has 10 working ovens in, in a festival across three shows and 1.6 kilometres of model railway track, uh, again, in three different shows. And one of those shows is I Think I Can, which I saw yesterday, and it's a really gorgeous thing. Go and see this before it shuts, or go and see this in Albany, where it runs for longer. Uh, you go, you go to the museum, you end up with this little avatar, tiny, tiny, tiny avatar, who is then yours to look after and to decide their fate. And it's the most brilliant thing. I adored it. It's amazing. The, the t Sam and, and Martin have made this brilliant work and working with local model railway enthusiasts so they've taken a big existing model railway but um, yes you answer questions on an iPad and it gives you your character uh, uh, one of the characters is a festival director and that's been now issued twice the first time uh, the person had them trying to see a marching band lean over a bridge and fall off the bridge and die by the railway track the second time they fell off a roof I'm actually rather concerned about the fact that the people of Perth when given an option of, of, of an avatar of a festival director seem to kill it so I'm not sure that's 
so flattering, but what, I'm working through the pain. <laughs> what was your avatar? Who did you get? I, I, well, I did. It, I haven't done it this time yet. Um, I did it. I did it last time, and I, I got a hitman. Um, which clearly uh, fits with my level of empathy. I was about days. to say, so you chose the option to have someone like you, did <laughs> yes, you? Yes, exactly that, exactly <laughs> that. But, but it was, it was. I, I, I may not have answered all the questions truthfully. <laughs> Guardian Australia's avatar is um, a robot uh, designer, actually, who is at this very moment uh, making a beautiful uh, robot of a figure skater for a rabbi who's had his heart broken by the real life one who's gone off to the Olympics. Wonderful, and then they tweet about it, and then it goes on Facebook, and it, and it just becomes this, this this, this crazy parallel world and yet it's people are all stood there they're stood there watching it and it's happening live so it's it's sort of playing with that second life thing but doing it in first world it's gorgeous really gorgeous thing so what else should we have seen so you've missed about 12 amazing music gigs in our, in our uh, festival gardens including the wonderful Booker T. Jones, um, Gautier with the basics. Uh, we had a fantastic night uh, a few nights ago with DJ Shadow and the National out at um, out at Belvoir, which just went off, which just sold out. Everybody went crazy. Um, hi, my name's Alyssa. I'm from Perth, and we're standing outside Sacrilege. My daughter is having an absolute ball. I may never get her off. <laughs> It brings out the, the, the kid in everybody and um, it's a fun expression of what is usually when you visit the real thing a very serious and awe-inspiring place whereas this is just fun. <laughs> um, we came to the opening fireworks show, the Chilean thing I think it was. My daughter liked the fireworks. I, I didn't really like the music. It was a bit apocalyptic. <laughs> And I thought it was going to be a bit more celebratory, it felt a bit dark to me, but um, still it was a really nice evening, it was really nice to be out here watching something different. And my husband and I went to Chevron Gardens on Friday night and saw Husky play, and the Chevron Gardens are amazing, they're just really fun and great. a great night out there, definitely. So it's time to talk to our critics about what they've been out seeing. I don't think we should do it on the grass. I think we should do it on this massive jumping castle. Long dress. In an interesting experiment, we've moved today's critical conversation to an enormous jumping castle. Uh, hello, Andrew P Street. Hello. I love what you've done with the place. <laughs> and hello, Andrew <laughs> Andrew Frost. Hi, Vicky. We're here today on Sacrilege, which is Jeremy Dalla's life-size Stonehenge, which is just a huge inflatable jumping castle, basically. Uh, so, Andrew, we first saw this in Sydney, and now we're seeing it in Perth. How does that change it? Well, it's in Sydney, this was sited near uh, the cathedral, St Mary's Cathedral in Hyde Park. And the name Sacrilege seemed to have a bit of a play with its location uh, and I guess also because it was on Aboriginal land of what was originally Aboriginal land. Uh, here it's in uh, a park next to the river. Um, I can't see any buildings of significance around us. Um, they moved the pieces around. I guess this piece is on tour you could say. It had been seen in Sydney now it's here in Perth for the Perth Festival and it's a little like I guess a band on tour. The artworks are in the country they go from place to place 
Although I guess sometimes the curators will also choose a work that they've seen. Uh, Paramodelic's Paramodel Graffiti, which is at the John Curtin Gallery, was at the Asia Pacific Triennial in Brisbane uh, a couple of years back and now it's here. So we've got this circulation of works that are moving around the country and around the world. I quite like the way that Sacrilege is kind of positioned against these great sort of skyscrapers that kind of dwarf the original stones. There's something nice in that, but it's not necessarily particularly deep, is it? I don't think so, but you know what? I'd really like to get on the record of this podcast that I was perhaps a little harsh in my assessment when it was in Sydney. Uh, I remember getting into quite a heated argument with Van about that with Van Banham. A heated argument with Van Banham? I've never mm. heard of such a yeah. thing. Yeah, and you know what? This piece has actually lived very happily in my memory since we were here. So there was probably a lot to what she had to say about you know the association with a happy experience with contemporary art. So, you know, I'm willing to concede that now. <laughs> uh, what I really like about Sacrilege, of course, is that it smells so delicious. It smells like every holiday you were on as a child ever, basically. I'm wondering where the, the pool is. It reminds me of <laughs> blow-up inflatable, you know, pool toys. <laughs> Andrew P Street, this would be a very fun place to have a gig, I think, wouldn't it? I think this probably would be a better place for uh, Ebony Bones to have played than where she actually played, because you could have maybe 150 people in here and it would be very vibey as opposed to uh, in the gardens, the Chevron Gardens, where it was very cold and empty, which did not work for her gig. So Ebony Bones played last night and you, I think your review said the crowd got, she kept the crowd waiting, everyone got restless and a not very full venue got really unfull. That's pretty much it. The, uh, she went on late, the, the sun had gone down, it got very chilly and she's as, as one person who was walking past me when I was uh, sort of getting a drink said well, I'm not freezing my ass off for her she's not that famous <laughs> and I think that kind of summed up the gig really she's she was impressively uh, good-looking she like very <laughs> fashionable very, very fashionable well, was very Such artsy, a very, oh, well, it's just she's I, I think she's either got to go way way bigger and become kind of a Lady Gaga sort of pop art experiment or she's got to get way way smaller and play small venues and get a really sweaty sort of live thing going but this kind of neither fish nor flesh thing she's got going on isn't working. I mean we should say Ebony Bones has been about to be the next big thing for literally eight or nine years now hasn't she? I think she was picked as you know as an act to watch at about 2009 or something okay. so I, I think we've probably watched her enough at this point <laughs> maybe we should look at something else. You were talking about the performer losing the audience or in mm -hmm. fact never really connecting with the audience. What happens in that moment? I mean, what's the power relationship between the audience and the performer? Well, it's a remarkably uncomfortable thing to watch because you get so used to seeing performers who either clearly don't care and so you know, you'll, you'll have a, a very blank performance from, you know, say, Lady Tron or Primal Scream or something like that where they're, part of their shtick is that we're we just doing care. what we do and yeah. we can barely notice that you're there. Or you see them fully in control and fully engaging. And so seeing it sort of playing out as a very clearly choreographed performance in front of a largely indifferent audience is really uh, unusually uncomfortable and very tense. It's a, it, it, it ends, it, you could see people getting more and more uncomfortable and then kind of checking their watches and going as the night progressed, which of course just adds to that kind of snowball effect. And it, it, so it's, it's an unusual and weird <laughs> sort of experience. 
And so what will you be looking at tonight? I think you're going to see Ostra tonight. Yes, Ostra are playing this evening. The uh, Canadian Electro uh, Ensemble. Uh, the, the touring behind their second album. I had a chat with Katie, their lead singer, which is at the website right now. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I've, I've seen them before. I saw them uh, at Laneway Festival a few years ago. So I'll be very keen to see how the show's progressed. Great. We'll hear more from that tomorrow. What are you doing? Uh, oh, hi. We're recording a podcast. Yeah. Hi, what's your name? Flynn. Flynn. Flynn, do you, do you like it here on Sacrilege? Uh, no. No? No. You're the first person I've ever heard that doesn't like it. How can you not like it? It's a huge bouncy castle. Oh, I do like it. Sorry. Oh, good, good, good. You changed your mind. Yeah. Hi, you're listening to The Garden Perth Festival Podcast. That Flynn, he's got a voice on him. <laughs> so, yes, I'll be uh, seeing Australia this evening, but uh, Mr. Frost, what, what are you seeing? Thanks, Mr. Street. I have been to the Perth Institute of Contemporary Art where they have two major exhibitions as they're offering for the festival. One is by Australian artist Richard Bell and it's called Embassy and the other is by South African artist William Kentridge and it's called The Refusal of Time. So why are these of note? Uh, William Kentridge is probably one of the most popular contemporary artists in the world. His art is very accessible, it, it looks artistic. It has a lot of animation, it has a fantastic soundtrack. Uh, this piece involves a lot of music. Uh, there's a choreographer, there's a dramaturge, there's uh, a lot of production value has gone into this piece. Mm -hmm. The piece is also set up as an installation. It's a five videos, video screen piece and it's been set up in the middle of Pika where they've distressed the walls, they've put old MDF which they've stripped back and the sand on the floor and there's seats scattered around and in the middle of the room amongst all these five screens is a big sort of machine that goes up and down looks a bit like a pump mm -hmm. but it's actually a sculpture a motorized sculpture that's meant to look like a piece of machinery now the the title is a bit confusing because the piece is actually about a sequence of events that happened in the uh, late 19th and early 20th century that sort of went around you know early formulations about the theories of relativistic time and space the invention and imposition of time zones mm -hmm. throughout the world as well as the standardization of clocks in workplaces. Now it's all pretty dry mm. uh, but it is quite entertaining on, on a superficial level because it looks very nice uh, but I had a major problem with this piece. I'm not a fan of Kentridge's work. I think it's incredibly bourgeois in its taste. It's almost meaningless in a way, but very artistic in another way. It attempts mm -hmm. to be something without really committing to anything at all. And uh, it's, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, Philip Glass, a ballet or something. Mm -hmm. There's a lot for everyone to like, but uh, there's not a lot to get your teeth into beyond a kind of very superficial engagement with a bunch of, you know, quite interesting ideas that are never fully explored or mm. really explained in any way that anyone in the audience can understand. By contrast, upstairs is a piece by Richard Bell, an exhibition called Embassy, which in part recreates one of the tents from the Aboriginal tent embassy that was set up in Canberra in 1972. Now, Bell's really well known in Australia. Uh, he's an Aboriginal artist. Mm -hmm. uh, he's from Queensland. And a lot of the work that he does is about the status of Aboriginal art in the white contemporary art world. 
uh, a lot of the pieces, or in fact all of the pieces, have big slogans on them. And the one that he's most famous for is a painting that says, Aboriginal art, it's a white thing. So, you know, these works that are in this show are very, you know, sloganeering. They've got a lot of chutzpah when it comes to putting out this idea of the, in, you know, the inequalities of not just Aboriginal people, but also of the equality of Aboriginal artists and their expression within an art world dominated by both, a, you know, a white audience, but also a white organisation. So in the same spot, you've basically got uh, middle class comfort and middle class guilt. That would be a cynical way of putting it, but yeah, I don't know. I think maybe there was some kind of formulation about how these mm -hmm. shows were going to go together uh, from the peak uh, curators. But you know, it's Bell's work has an immediacy and a forthrightness that uh, Kentridge's doesn't have, mm -hmm. and it and really benefits from that. And I also think it's important to note that for Bell, I think, what we, the white audience, might think is really largely irrelevant to how it sits for him and his own community. Mm -hmm. So on that basis, I think, you know, it's not for me to really pass judgment on it, but from a personal level, I found his work very powerful, but I also think he's got a really fantastic sense of humor. Mm. There's a real self-deprecating sense of humor that kind of lurks in the work. While we've been having fun on Sacrilege, we've also run into James Hutchinson, who is the project manager for Sacrilege and travels with it all over the world. Yeah. So, so tell us, have there been any sort of special hurdles for Perth? Any special hurdles for Perth? I think the biggest hurdle in Perth is the heat. It's like a really hot place. So, you know, the kind of the temperature of the, of the object gets like, when the sun shines on it, it's about 20 degrees hotter than the air temperature. So, you know, it might get up to 60 degrees on here. So that is going to be the biggest hurdle. We should say now it's 6.30 on a relatively cool Perth exactly. day. So we're fine. We're not we're burning fine. our feet at all or no, melting. Not yet. Come back tomorrow at midday and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> but we hose it down when it gets really hot. So it becomes a bit more like a water park in that kind of situation. And do you so hose down the people on it at the time? Do they, they get a choice? If they want to be hosed down, they can be hosed down. How many times do you think you've been and had a bounce on sacrilege? Oh, countless, in the kind of, in the three-figure kind of, you know, the number of times. So I've, we've set it up in about 40 different places. And, you know, of course it's my job to test it. And, of course, it's my kind of job to kind of be on here the whole time. So we'd be counting it more in hours than, like, numbers of kind of... Uh, numbers of goes I think I think kind of hundreds of hours do you get a kind of seasickness sort of reverse seasickness I guess absolutely for sure all um, the time yes it's harder being off than it is being on I'm going to introduce you now to someone who's often behind the mic on Guardian Australia's podcast hello Miles Martignoni hello Vicky how are you going good well joyful I love this yeah it is, this is the best idea we've had <laughs> Um, so last night we went off to see uh, Saturday 21 uh, by Batsheva uh, Dance Company, which was a really interesting piece of work, but quite a challenging piece of work as well. Yeah, look, this is, I think it was probably the second dance performance I've ever been to. And I kind of came in, sat down, beautiful theatre though, absolutely beautiful theatre. The State Theatre of WA is one of the most beautiful theatres I think I've been in, both outside and in. The inside architecture is amazing as yeah, well, isn't I it? I walked out, I couldn't stop touching the chairs, you remember that? <laughs> I dragged him away. Yeah. But sitting down in those chairs, I didn't really know what to expect, I didn't know anything about it. And then these people started coming up one by one and dancing and kind of like convulsing or twitching. And it was, it was a bit odd. 
and then more and more would come and there'd be then there'd be two of them and then I'd say what is this trying to say I thought maybe they're like fighting or maybe no then for a while I thought it was almost like a soap opera it could have been like an episode of Neighbours or Hollyoaks for you maybe or like everyone seemed to be sleeping with each other Hollyoaks for me oh my god what do you think of me um, and but there was a lot of sex, you're right. There was, yeah. there was a lot of sex. And I kind of, I mean, without sounding weird, I thought the sex was the best bit of it. Sex was very good. It yeah. was really great, I thought, in a kind of very non-sexy way. They really captured that feeling. Sorry. It's, it's true. Oh, no, no, stop no. now. Stop now, Frost. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, 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 I agree with you. But those bodies, like, they were amazing young performers. Amazing, such, like, strength and just movement about them. But Sheva have a really interesting creative process, uh, how they create their works and also how they create their movements because uh, they do look quite different from other dance companies. Their, their movements are quite um, individual to them, I think. The way Sada 21 evolves is that you see sort of several movements and there is a joke in there actually about 21 movements which is quite funny after a while you get to about six and you think oh my god this thing is gonna last all I night was the same. I was, how long can it go for <laughs> and then the next one is like seven to eighteen or so it's, it's a good gag it's funny i yeah, liked yeah. it um and so it, they're movements that reflect on sort of different emotions or states of being or political things and so they don't fit together into one narrative it's it's not like watching sleeping beauty i think I mean, I know you introduced this by saying you hadn't seen much dance work, but I don't think that makes any difference to the validity of your response to this piece. I mean, I'm by no means a dance critic at all. I really don't set myself up as being one. But there's something quite pure about this work and also really emotional. It does touch an emotional response. Big bounces for the goodbye. Okay, ready? Okay. <laughs> 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 goodbye, <laughs> <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> uh, Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>